happy happiness here. Quickly, uh, from Yoshi uh, Gestatner, latest stats out of Israel. More than half of serious hospitalizations in Israel this week, fully corona jab. More than half. All right, to the Dude Maker Hotline, we're going to talk about rogue food movements and how they are gaining ground uh, out there. Story at lourockwell.com by Jenny Garner. Um, uh, with Brian K of Crusader Stadium chat room fame, who is in uh, eastern southern Texas, might be in the path of what's the what's the hurricane called? Uh, Ida. Tropical storm Ida. A tropical storm. I. It's going to develop into a category nine by the time it hits to Texas or Louisiana. Um, and then Dan Mundy of uh, Central New Jersey. From Mundy Farms. Yeah, Mitter uh, K, here we are in the last week of August. And uh, if you're going to plant something for fall, I guess this is the week or the next week or so to get it into the ground. How are you? Um, trees fall on chicken coops, and that changes the plan. Trees fall on chicken. I missed the first part. I had you on one. Minister O'Connell had you on two. My bad. Please, uh, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, I was just going to say tree. I was going to go fishing today and go catch some rogue seafood. And uh, Rogue and, seafood. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. But, uh, but uh, I uh, had a uh, pecan limb fall on one of my chicken coops. So I'm, I'm uh, in repair mode today and i got to cut up the, the limb and uh just repair it fortunately it didn't do much damage it's just some chicken wire and some boards that i have plenty of spares so i'm gonna get that going but uh yeah just just how it goes and then it turned out it rained last night and it's heavy storms where i'm gonna go fishing anyway so god had other plans for me. Well, let me ask you a question do you do you have to have a license uh, to catch rogue fish uh, technically, yeah. <laughs> Here in Louisiana, if you go rogue fishing uh, and a DWF agent comes up on you, you'll wish you had a license. Yes. That's, 500, that's no, it's a $400 fine in-state resident. I think they just put you, if you're, if you're from Mississippi and you get caught fishing our waters without a license, uh, I think it's like, Tend the life you get, or something like that. Oh, wow. Because we have this feud going with Mississippi over licenses. I don't know what it'd be if you're from Texas or some other state. But if you're from Mississippi and you come fishing in Louisiana water and a DWF agent gets you, 
Dude, you get handcuffed. You get put in a Hannibal Lecter mask rig. They uh, strap you on a gurney, and then they haul you down <laughs> to the TWF office. And then they set bail or bond at like a million and a half dollars. You may never be seen again. If you're from Mississippi and you get caught fishing without a license in Louisiana, you may never be seen again. That's how bad it is. I don't know how bad it is in Texas. Uh, I think it's about the same. I don't know if they lock you away, but they sure they sure uh, let you know that you did wrong, according to them. All right, let us find out what's happening. I can hear Mitter Mundy's being paged on his radio in the background. So, uh, Mundy, tell me what's going on, because you're going to have to go, I'm sure. Right. No, I hope not. I've been, I got called at 2 o'clock this morning, Mitter I'm already tired. I'm too old for this stuff. You're a month younger than me. You'll Man, you and me both, bro. You know, and you know what else I'm tired of? I'm tired of all the BS I got to deal with every day. <laughs> well, there is that, but I mean, you know, you think we, you think we'd get used to it, wouldn't you, my friend? You think it's like, uh, you know, I, I guess I don't get as viscerally upset about some of these things like I used to, but the that level of slow burning aggravation doesn't help either. So. <laughs> oh no. Well, oh, we're, we're still we're 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 my man. I, I spend most of my evenings right now trying to put stuff up and and and, and get it frozen. I was got a lot. Oh, tomatoes are coming like mad. So I saw that. I got to get them while they're get them while they're good. My wife's like, you got to make more sauce. It's like, yeah. What about you? Um, I mean, uh, thank you, dear. I'll be happy to do that for you. You didn't tell her that. Uh, yeah, we've been married 35 years. You did not tell her. Yeah, what about you? You did not tell her that. Come on, Monday. I know that. I know better than that. You're still alive. Well, yeah, but she's remember she's with her mother 75 miles. Ah, away, that's so right. That's that. right. Well, let I, me ask I, 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 let me ask a canning question or a bagging question, as it were. Do you mix your maters when you grind them up like that? Does, does it matter? Uh, for, for me, I mean, I, I, you know, I some I keep kind of whole for various things. You want texture, things like that, uh, and some I, I, I just put it in the processor and and blenderize it all. I don't care if there's seeds in it or not because a lot of the stuff we make, you know, we like it all. So I, I, so I will scald them and I will skin them because the skins can get tough and rubbery and stuff if you try to leave them on. But other than that, I just, and then, you know. Sometimes I'll actually make you know, make a sauce and something like that, but then I'll usually vacuum seal it in a canning jar. And that's just raw tomato puree. Well, there you go. Uh, Brian, uh, do, do you separate and segregate? No, I just throw everything together. Yeah, and then you start, you you just make chow chow. You just throw everything in there, you. Yeah, I mean, it's all good. <laughs> you make salsa, man. You're not even trying to make, you're not even trying to accept the segregate the tomatoes out. Now, yeah, we, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I try, you know, I tr like if I'm doing like what, sauces and stuff, I try to do like maromas in there. But uh, a lot of times, like if they have bug damage and stuff, I'll cut the bug damage out and just it all goes into the pot because, I mean, it gets to the point where you're like, eh, you know, you're having to work too hard and you're trying to get it done, you know, because there's five screaming kids trying to tell you to do other things too. So. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Under, yeah, I know. I, I, well, I, I used to understand. I don't understand it anymore. Um, but before we start talking about rogue food, uh, I have uh, about four Black Beauty squash from seeds that are actually have uh, grown up and uh, they're starting. They're a little tiny, little uh, organic. You know, the ones that are made out of uh, uh, compacted, recycled paper, basically. Uh, so these these seed wells are only like two inches deep. Uh, that the plants look like they're they've got six inch leaves on them, so I think I'm going to plant them 
but now I don't know, Brian, because Hurricane Doom or Tropical Storm Doom is coming. Uh, would they survive being pelted with rain and 60-mile-an-hour winds this weekend? Uh, probably not. I, I, if you can just wait a few days. Yeah, I think I will. Days. It's not. It's not. I mean, you, you you put the work into it. You're that far ahead. If they're not in the ground, don't worry. About, you know, just, just wait. Um, and my Jack and the Beanstalk, I got uh, half a dozen Jack and the Beanstalks. Those look good. I have now a sunflower plant. That I kept from the and by the way, you people that said that rabbits don't eat sunflowers, uh, you're wrong. You need to retract that and give me an apology. I put the sunflower, the one of the organic seeds I got from Johnny Seeds, put it in and grew it from a little sprig to a little sprig, and I put it behind a a little a little fence that I made for one of my beds. That joker's 18 inches tall now. You know why? Because the rabbits couldn't eat it. So wow. anyone that says that rabbits don't eat sunflowers, you're full of it. Not only did, I, I, maybe it wasn't a rabbit. I, whatever critter it was, rabbit, coon, mole, possum, I don't know. Something was eating them in my yard. And I'm not talking about pulling them out the ground and swallowing them whole. So in any event, I got a beautiful little sunflower plant. Man, he looks like he is ready to go to the moon. He is almost two feet tall now. I got another one in a, in a bed that I started from seed that's about a foot tall. So I will finally have some sunflowers to protect my fall maters. I've got four plants growing that I took from, uh, from stems. And I would not have known how to do that had it not been for you and Monday. So thanks to both of you. I'll send you a picture. We'll take a picture for next, uh, next Free Farm Friday. Um, so it looks like I may have a little bit of fall, uh, mater crop, Brian, how long will my, uh, tomato plants, do I have enough time if I just put them in the ground or I'll probably wait for the other two now until the storm passes, do I have enough time to actually get fruit off them? They look good. They should. Yeah. If you, if you did them from cuttings, they're already in, at adult stage. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So they're, you know, you, you pass up all that seed, you know, seed start and everything like that uh i mean they should go till the freeze you know until you get a frost or freeze okay and and even if you have uh forecasted lower temperatures you can cover those things and maybe put a light on them and they'll they'll you know it'll be warm enough if if you plan on extending it and you know further especially if it's producing so so Uh, now i understand part of the madness behind it and I didn't understand. I didn't pick up on it before, but now uh, now the uh, thought process is complete. So the reason we cut it off a fully adult plant because it already is adult, so it doesn't have to go through all those phases. It just needs to grow big enough to be able to hold uh, tomatoes. Exactly, yeah. Got it. So, Dan Mundy, I didn't know that. Now, now Mitter Mundy, you told yeah, me to get yeah. that, uh, that I should take a clipping off of my satsuma tree and try to grow some satsumas. Um, yes, would the same, do I do the same thing? Uh, well, that depends. I mean, I, I, most of the time when I've done anything with trees, you're usually grafting on, on root stock. So how's that, how does that work? Uh, well, if you're trying to take a root stock, especially if you're trying to take a, a root stock, which is adapted to the, to the soil and to the conditions where you might have, uh, if, they did that a lot with grapes for a long time in, in, in this country, because they bring them over from Europe and they couldn't grow them because there were uh, critters in the ground that were affecting them. So they would get natural wild rootstocks, which we used to the soil and the conditions and the bacteria, and they would put grafted the uh, uh, the the uh, 
the European versions on top. You see them do a lot of fruit trees. I have never tried to actually take a tree from a satsuma, but since they have no seeds, there has to be, you have to be able to do it. That's why I said maybe you ought to give it a try. Or I do a little research on it if you want, Mister Church. I didn't. I was thinking I. Well, it's such a good, well, it's such a good, good genetic stock. You want to want to. No, it is. It is. For years, no. You know, something will happen like a storm like this, and you'll be very upset if you see it on its side one morning. You know. Uh, that tree is not going to be knocked on its side. Uh, okay. Well, let me. No, it's thirty feet tall. Uh, it's the biggest orange tree you've ever seen, dude. I'm going to be so sad when I have to leave it. Let me uh, uh, let me ask the follow-up question. Satsumas do make seeds. Oh, okay. I thought you said they were seed, basically seedless. So, well, we have the seeds. Do our satsumas have seeds or are they seedless? Satsumas, do they have seeds? Yeah, it, you know, Dan, it depends on which one it is. Most of them do not have seeds. You're right. Okay, I'm not. I've not had the privilege of having any. I've heard of them. You well, you know what, dude? You're in luck because this year at the St. Benedict Center Conference, because they will be blooming and blossoming at about that time, I mm -hmm. will bring a sack of those jokers because I'm going to get about 500 this year. I would love it. I'll be trading you quail, so no problem. All right. Sounds good. Um, now let's talk about the rogue food movement. Did you read this piece, uh, Lou Rockwell, by Jenny Garner? Oh yeah, I've I, I've read that, and I've read some of the stuff that Moody's put out. And actually, I was sorry, I I went and looked up rogue, mm -hmm. and you do you know as a noun, you know it is un, an unprincipled, deceitful, and unreliable person. So as a, as, a, as, a, as an adjective, it's vicious and solitary. Eventually, by the time you get down to third or fourth definition, it does talk about operating outside normal or desirable controls. Now, I think so, that they call this rogue food movement rogue because. That's what Joel Salatin calls the festival, rogue or the conference, the rogue food yeah, conference. I, but there, there's other, there, there's other, you know, the Moody Sky. I tell you where it started. It started because of your good buddy uh, Kennedy, Senator Kennedy, mm -hmm. uh, 2007. I remember when this happened when they updated the FDA uh, powers and regulations. Mm -hmm. A lot of it had to do with medical and, uh, uh, drugs and medical devices and such, but there was a whole thing on food. And I remember there were, you go back, you can find all kinds of articles on it because at the time they said, this is going to be bad. Most of the kind of things that were, are getting rebelled against now by Salatin and some of these farm market cooperatives that are starting up used to be done by the, the health department, whether that was state or local, depending on the state on how, you know, who, who was the one coming hassling you? Uh, when they gave the FDA the, the powers that they did, it took them like in mean, typical government, it took them a while to get going. But once they got the police powers and they staffed up to do it, they're going around doing what's happening now and, and going into people's business and uh, disrupting private sales and, and private agreements with people and disrupting the small farmer. That's where it started. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, obviously this stuff's been going on for a long time, but this, this, this last iteration was all because of that Food and Drug Administration Revision Act or Amendment Act of 2007. Okay. Now, this is uh, this is from the essay. Now, Brian, uh, had you on mute. Just hold on, because I know you've got a big story to tell. Stand by. Those pa Now, to me, small farms, farmers markets, local grocery stores, it's all about building community. Robert Nisbet would be pleased in the quest for community. It helps to build community. You know, the people that are at our local store, Mrs. Chur and I go to all the time, we know the managers now by face. They know us. They see us coming into the store. It's always, hey, morning, folks. How are y'all? 
Um, uh, and we try to get everything we can from our local grocer. And they do a pretty good job of getting uh, buying overstocks from the from the big guys. Uh, I have been taking all of your advice, Mr. Barrett. Been taking uh, uh, Barrett's. I've been taking uh, Suzanne's and Brian's and Dan's. Um, we've been stocking. Stocking anything that with it, that that we can preserve long term, we got lots of supplies of it. Anticipating a very dreary supply chain interrupted winter. Now, meat's the big thing, though. And I'll get into that in a minute. But I want to read from Jenny Garner. This is from LouRockwell.com. By the by, if you're not in the chat room, why did you leave, dude? I know it's Friday. You're gonna miss so much great information. And all these links, and I am not republishing them, including this new one from uh, this breaking news from Alex Berenson. Uh, the Israelis aren't effing around anymore, he says. They know they need to figure this out double quick. Latest from Israel. I told you people, keep an eye. I told you I would do this for you last two Fridays ago. Keep an eye on Israel and what's happening with the corona doom. Antibody titers in vax people started high but fell 40% a month. This is a study that just came out. 40% a month. Natural titers fell 5% a month. More side effects up front plus plunging efficacy. Natural herd immunity, you and I, for the win. Now, we better start also getting serious about praying like mad for our children, mine, yours, parents, grandparents, Uncle Bobo, Aunt Petunia, that bought into it and got the double jab. They are in big, sick trouble this coming winter. We'll, we'll, we'll close the program out with that. Back to Jenny Garner, Freeform uh, Friday rogue food movement is gaining ground. Those passionate about food freedom and health independence are a growing grassroots community who are disengaging families, livelihoods, and money from the system. This is what it's all about. You see evil, you see big, you see corporate, you see GMO, divorce. Just divorce. Walk away. Give it to them. Let them have it. Find another source. Find another job. Find another school. Find, just if you see it, I can't do it for you. Don't fraternize. Don't finance it. You're financing the building of your own prison. They oppose the planned global technocratic tyrannical agenda of multiple force toxic shots. Those freedom, these freedom lovers do not want their movement to be tracked and traced where every element of a sovereign free life is rewarded or punished, denied or granted based on a social credit score. We are here to defend personal responsibility, said Joel Salatin at this conference. There is so much talent and heart in this movement. We are creating an alternative universe. And, and folks, right here on the Crusade Channel, we're cultivating it. Brian is a talent. Dan is a talent. Brian English and his wife with their homestead in North Carolina, they are talents. Joe and Katie Beeman with their awesome little garden talent. Cesare DePole, a talent. The chicken lady, 
You guys are talented. Our friends out in Washington State that make cheese and soap, you guys are talented. These are important talents. We all need to learn from them. Pick up what we can, apply it to our situation, and do the best that we can. Again, divorce. You see evil, walk away. Uh, back to the story. <clears throat> this is the remnant. This is our tribe. How do you like Salatin's language? And by the way, he's not a Catholic. I don't even know if he's a Christian. He sure sounds like one, though, doesn't he? Uh, he announced plans to take future rogue food events on the road and offered Polyface Farms as a venue for future gatherings for like-minded groups if they find themselves shut out of other locations. And then there's a, there's a picture. Representative Thomas Massey and his childhood sweetheart, another story, uh, were two hillbillies at MIT inventing virtual reality devices and building superconductors when they decided they missed Kentucky and bought her parents' farm. When my farm grows up, it wants to be polyface, Massey said. <laughs> the local government kept passing laws telling farmers what to do to, with their land. Massey ignored this for a while, and uh, then uh, you know what, uh, what happened afterwards. So there's stories of these people that said, no, I won't do it anymore. Now, let me get back to Brian Koch uh, of Southeast Texas. Brian, you said you had a story locally that applies to rogue farming. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, the, you know it, it's obvious. You drive around, most the majority of our farms are commodity farms. You know, they're growing corn, cotton, soybeans, uh, grain sorghum, you know, at a commodity level. So, you know, they it either goes to the grain elevator and they have a contract with the grain elevator and get a price and the grain elevator holds onto it and sells it for a better price. Or uh, in some cases, they'll contract directly with Cargill and it goes to the ship at the Port of Houston, for instance, and right. to where else but China. China. Well, China. China, yeah, China. yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, it, what happens is we uh, we export like grain sorghum, for example, Milo, uh, for those who um, you know are in the term or anything like that. Well, you know, we also import grain sorghum or Milo from China, and it ends up in, in our animal feed and everything like that. So we grow enough here to support ourselves, but we end up exporting it and then importing it. Uh, uh, stupid or that's yeah, dumb. Very stupid. Very, very stupid. And who knows what the Chinese are doing to it? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, a, 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 a method, a, a, sorghum is a non-GMO crop. It is too close to Johnson grass, which is a very similar species, which in a lot of places is considered a noxious weed. Uh, it's actually a good Hey, hey Brian, isn't grass. this how we got kudzu here? Uh, kudzu, yeah. Kudzu's a legume, and I think... I, it may. I don't know if it was for feedstock or, or if, you know, feeding it, but it's, it, it would be a higher protein, so that makes sense. But yeah, it's basically an invasive that. It's invasive, and, and, and now we can't get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Johnson grass. I mean, you see, you see it all over the place. If you graze it and, uh, properly, uh, you can control it, and it, it's it's actually a good. I mean, it, it, it's it's a good grass, but uh, like all sorghum, if they get stressed. Uh, they can develop what they call prusic acid, which is can be toxic to animals. And uh, so you, you got to be careful with that, especially like this time of year. Normally, this time of year, 
we've we've had a lot of rain this year, so everything is staying lush and green and not getting stressed. But that could be a danger. So I, I mean, we can, we can we can visit about that some other day when we're talking about grazing and stuff. Okay. But to, to stay on point with with sorghum, it is a non GMO because it can't it, they can't it's too close to these these weeds that are out there to make it Roundup ready or or Liberty ready or whatever the new fangled herbicide is uh, that that they're spraying on these crops. So I, I like sorghum. I I buy a bag every month. And supplement my chickens with it. Uh, it's a good non-GMO, uh, you know, uh, deal. You mix it with sunflower seeds and stuff, and it makes a good hen scratch. Um, anyway, uh, one of the lo- uh, well, I'm sure this has happened in a, quite a few local farmers. Um, I, this happens to be a guy that uh, works in the office with me. He uh, took over uh, some farming for his father-in-law who passed away this spring, and. Um, he was working. He said he told the you know his mother in law you know I'll take I'll you know I'll plant the crops and you know take care of it this year and everything. Well, he had I don't know how many hundreds of acres of grain sorghum. Well, he contracted with Cargill, uh, and if you looked at grain prices, grain sorghum was selling uh, for upwards of thirteen dollars per hundred, which you know hundred weight, which is a little more a little more than almost two bushels, uh, you know hundred pounds. So. They were getting these elaborate prices and contracting and stuff, and and it, I mean it's, that's that's a really good price for sorghum. Normally, sorghum sells for about uh, six dollars a hundred to seven dollars a hundred. So so you know you're almost doubling you know that. Well, come harvest time, um, you know we've had delays up and down the coast at harvest time because I told you uh, a couple weeks ago how much rain we've been getting. Personally, here I've had uh, I think forty three or forty four inches of rain since May the first. Uh, so that uh, our yearly average is forty six inches. So we've gotten almost a year of rain in that in that uh, what four months, and a lot of that rain happened when you harvest grain sorghum. Normally around here, it's about July fourth is when the, when you're harvesting. Well, in the Rio Grande Valley and South Texas, uh, you know, Corpus Christi, that area, they grow. That's that's their uh, one of their main crops between that and cotton because it's a, it can uh, survive more arid temperatures. So, or more arid conditions. It's it's a, it's a very drought tolerant uh, you know species, and it doesn't get a lot of uh, stress related uh, things in the grain. So it's 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 a very dependable crop. Well, with all the delays. Plus everything, you know, these ships having to come from China. Right. Well, they're having disruptions. Uh, it turns out when it came to harvest time, uh, the, the guy I'm working with, he couldn't. He had contracts and everything. They wouldn't take his grain because the damage was. They said the damage was too high. Which typically, when you contract, they'll take damage up to thirty percent of the crop. Because you know you'll have bugs or you'll have rain or you'll have something. You know when it sits out in the field. Well, they knocked the damage down to like 15% or 10%. And what happens is, you know, as you as you go north in Texas, the grain gets ready and, and stages. I said here about July 4th, end of July, you have the Brazos Valley, which is, you know, the College Station, Bryan area, um, real fertile land and stuff, and they do a lot of crops. Well, that, you know, that later July is when that's getting ready. Well, he was, wasn't able to get in the field. Uh, to harvest until later. Well, mm-hmm. that was that was in con. You know, uh, with 
you know, at the same time as the Brazos Valley and then further north is starting to come in. Well, they were trying to keep this grain at a, you know, low damage level. Well, his sat in the field and, you know, they had all these contracts and stuff and they said, no, we're not going to take it. So what he's probably going to end up having to do is just shred down hundreds of acres of grain sorghum uh, and take insurance on it. And it's perfectly good grain. You could mix it with a higher quality grain and still get a good product. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not an out of practice thing, but we're sitting here depending on the Chinese. We're sitting here depending that's just, on. It's, that's just, yeah, that's, whose idea yeah. was this? It, it ought to be illegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it started when we created the USDA. I mean, look look at how much food has been destroyed since the creation of the USDA. Right, right. Because they're creating an artificial high price for commodities. And the commodity, every, you know, and then you look at the subsidies on top of that. You know, my solution to, like, a farmer who wants to grow that much grain, let's build a dang local feed mill because I know there's people around here who will feed our animals and would would buy it right down the road so they wouldn't have to get it shipped or something. They could go pick it up at a local feed mill. And it's locally grown and fertilized by local bees. So, yeah, yeah, you keep it in the same ecosystem, builds up better antibodies, uh, it's better food, better stuff. On On top of that. How how don't how much do I stress crop rotation? Yes, that's why I talk about cover crops. You're putting you have an opportunity to rotate or even grow together grains and legumes, and that wouldn't even have to be mixed. You could harvest that and take it to the feed mill, and it's already mixed. You have a product that requires minimal processing, mm-hmm. uh, ready to go. People will buy it. It's got enough protein to, you know, to feed out chickens. It's got, you know, if you want to feed out a cow on grain, which I'm, I'm not a big proponent of, but if you want to do it, you could do that. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, it, we just do so many stupid things. And fortunately, I'm, 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 I took the day off from work, you know, so I'm not in the office so I can rant a little bit more about this. <laughs> well, let me bring. Let me. I want. Uh, yeah. Hold your thought there, big guy. Yeah. I want to bring Dan Money in because Dan, one of the things that you, Alan, got a copy, Alan. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good. Okay, so one of the things that you in New Jersey with the, some of the people that you know that you won't have that they that they don't have to deal with because it's not subsidized like commodity crops are the people that you know that are in the wine business. Wine is not subsidized and not commodified, or the grapes aren't, the way that grain is and the way that the other commodity crops are. So what lessons uh, from the winemakers and the people that are, that are trading in uh, the grapes to make wine, uh, because they should be relatively fr- free from that force that Brian was just talking about, right? They're relatively free from that, but they are under the thumb of ATF. And when it comes to labeling and, and restrictions, they, they really, I don't know, I wouldn't say whether it's worse or it's better, but they, they, st- they still have a big cross to bear because of the other things that they need to deal with. And even though in the Great People's Republic of New Jersey, uh, the vineyards were... I think they're starting to fall off now for other things, but they were the fastest growing segment of agriculture in the state for quite a few years. Um, 
most of them have still had to subsidize, you know, like, like you said, how do you make a million dollars in, 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 in wine and, 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 a, and a vineyard start with 10 million. Most of them still have to subsidize with pizza truck nights and music and, you know, agritourism things. So yeah, they don't have that, that level of regulation when it comes to that, you know, they're this, but if you listen to them, just trying to get a label change and get, get the labels approved when they're trying to get their stuff bottled and get it out so they can sell it, they got, they got major problems there as well. So, so, so you never seem to be you never free of this bureaucracy miniature. And and you know that's what I, that's what I'm getting from you that the so the ATF just replaces <laughs> the BATF just replaces the uh, the USDA. Oh, uh, I mean there were there were people here who for a number of years wanted to make meat. And meat and I have a friend of mine he wants that. Hey, hey, I already know this story. You can't make it because of what's in it. There's no one sells commercial. You can't buy a bottle of meat. They, they, you can, there is a commercial meadery in Jersey started a couple of years ago, and basically the guy who wanted to do it literally went down and sat on the guy's desk until they hammered out some temporary language to give him a temporary license, which as far as I know is two or three years. They still, they still never acted upon it, but it, don't, it wasn't classified. It didn't fall on anything. Uh, they wouldn't stop you from making it, but you had to put in at least a half acre of grapes and harvest and all this other BS to pretend you were making wine, and then you could make me. But this guy, he's the only one still in the state. He, he did manage to do it. But uh, they just, they just, you know, I guess they're waiting them out or they don't care. One, one guy's not enough to disrupt their little party. At okay, so but, what we see or what we're learning here in our uh, Rogue Food Movement show is that whether it's the USDA or the BATF or some other Hades forsaken alphabet agency, government seems to have its, uh, its grubby mitts on agriculture and on food. And it's doing, it seems to me, it's doing all it can do to crush the little guy. Now, I find this completely uh, in keeping with the way that this has developed over the last 40 years or so and where your smaller family-owned and operated grocery store and it's unique to your town, has either gone under or been bought out. Um, they either put out a business or been bought out and sold uh, to one of the big chains, uh, the big national chains. Now, people may wonder, why is it, why, why, KD, why is that, why is that happening? The chain can spread the cost of the massive regulation and red tape BS they had to deal with over many, many stores. Because it's pretty much going to be the same no matter where it is. So once you figure out how to deal with it in Dallas, uh, then you don't need to do a bunch of lawyering to know how much you're going to have to pay and deal with it, uh, for example, in Norfolk, Virginia. So government gives the big guy, Brian, a built-in freaking advantage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, we, I, you know, I tell this story, and this has happened. This happens everywhere, every year, anywhere you're growing commodity crops. This happens, and and uh, you know, <clears throat> the USDA is. I, I mean, they they for, they say one thing on one hand, and then they go and do this on the other hand. It, crop insurance promotes bad farming practices. Yes, 
that and 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 we we see that and it, and this all leads to it. I'm going to give you an example, and I told I talked about this book a few months back, but it's that Dirt to Soil by Gabe Brown. Gabe Brown is a guy up in North Dakota who was a commodity farmer, and he had a few years of failure due to weather conditions and everything else. He was trying to do the commodity thing. He learned about soil health the hard way. He learned how to do this and bring animals onto the land. He is totally out of the commodity system. His statement is, I like to sign the back of the check, not the front of the check. And he signs the back of the check a lot. Hey, he and I are on the same page. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know what he gets? For a grass-fed ribeye per pound. Okay. Well, how much? Grass-finished ribeye. $17. I can do that. You know, you know, you know, he gets every bit of that $17 because... Oh, okay. So I, I see. So you get a better quality meat. It's organic. Uh, and because he's not going through middlemen and then triple middlemen and then USDA and all that. So... He's reaping all the benefit, and that's what it costs to raise that that ribeye. Yeah, yeah, and he he's created a, a company called Nourishing Nature. Now, I think if he sells outside of state lines, he has to get USDA inspected and stuff. But he's making he's bringing in so much on at that one end that that's just that's just a little bit. Plus, I think they built their own processes. You know, they, they, they got enough ideas together and built their own process. And that's what we need to do. You know, we need to build our own meat processing. We need to build our own feed mills. We need to, you know, and, 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 and you know, the, that cooperative idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's how you go rogue. And you can, you can, and excuse me, but you can give the federal government the middle finger all day on that. Yeah, well, you, you don't have to go through all the stuff you can you can there's ways around using your language you can buy shares into raw milk you can uh you know someone buys the cow or something like that and say oh they're just i'm just they're just paying me for rent uh on my pasture and and i give them the milk or so you know something like that you know it just it's 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 there's there's so many ways we can we can do this and and tell them that you know, tell them to go to hell. You know, well, okay, we, we need to be able to do that. We also need to be able to tell, uh, we need to be able to uh, be completely separated and untethered from even the threat, the USDA, FDA, whatever, coming in and going, uh, yeah, you got away with it for a little while. We changed the rule. Yeah, yeah our yeah. regulators are coming. Uh, have your bank statements and your property title and deed ready. Uh, you can either surrender them to us or uh, we'll take you to court and we'll take them. Yeah, yeah, and you can, you know, we could tie this back to uh, uh, Mitter Simpson's ideas uh, with the uh, Crusader Investment Club. You know, let's say someone needs some a boost to start one of these processing plants. If you're doing it for a community, you don't have to have a big plant. True. You can do it with 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 you know hundreds of square feet. Well, you know, the thing is, Brian, we don't want here. We need to think in scale. We don't want big plants. That's yeah, the thing. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. We want more plants that are smaller. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, that helps with the food chain and with the supply chain because if one of them gets burned down or something or uh, heaven for fan, you know, they actually have a health problem uh, that's purely an act of nature and they got to deal with it. It helps to have more. The, look, this the same thing applies, and I've been making this argument for 30 years. No one will ever listen to me. 
Maybe you and Mundy will. Uh, no one in the chat room will ever listen to me. The exact same principle applies to the generation of electricity. Why should you rely on one power plant 60 miles away that has to traverse 60 miles of high-tension line that any hurricane worth a poop can just knock out and then just completely deprive tens if not hundreds of thousands of people for week, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks, ten, we saw 12 weeks after Hurricane Laura. That is just stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. Wouldn't it make more sense to build 10 smaller regional plants where there's a good chance one hurricane or storm can't take them all out at the same shot, Brian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you just... By Mr. Barrett says friends. it's called islanding. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Yes, yeah, islanding. Exactly. I like the term. That's the perfect term. Yeah, and and you know you what you know we're always told uh, these big ag producers are told feed the world. No, that's not our job. To feed no, it's our job to feed our family <laughs> right, and our community. Let me bring Mr. Mundy in because uh, Brian, uh, there was a lot a lot in there, Dan, about livestock. And meat processing plants. So this is all under your. This is your in your wheelhouse. Well, we, when I was a kid, we used to go to the great county seat. You, you've heard me talk about the great county of Hunter Don. You know that the county well. Yep. And the county seat of Flemington, where the great Lindbergh trials are gone. We had a feed mill there. Agway had a big mill there for the size. I and mean, that was the. You know that, that county used to be big in peaches. It used to be. We used to have, We were the biggest uh, uh, egg egg county in the Northeast. At one time, I had like 750,000 laying chickens. The mill was right in Flemington. Well, I remember it when I was a kid. It's torn down now, and actually what's left of the building has a large mural of a Hispanic child playing a guitar to help to help be inclusive in the town of Flemington. But be that as it may, all those kind of things are gone. The, pro the problem I'm seeing on literature is that, it, yes, it's growing, and yes, we're seeing... Uh, a tremendous amount of people now, you're going to get me fired up, that are they're getting onto this bandwagon and wanting to, to be able to have control of their food and where they're getting it. Too many of them still want convenience. And I go, oh, God, I, I got chickens. They're ready now. Oh, well, we're going on vacation next week. Well, I got chickens now. You know, so you said you wanted them. I grew them for you. You, you, know, you need to learn to accommodate this. I don't mean everybody's sitting around just waiting for me to have chickens, but but I get this all the time, especially when I go to the, the foodie event. Oh, give me a call when you got something. After the third time, hey, I got lamb. Oh, we're going to Florida for a month. Oh, I got chickens. Oh, we're going to the shore this weekend. Uh, you, know, you, know, you, you can build a network. It really requires full attention. You can't be like me and try to you know work and, and do it at the same time. So you need to be careful of that. So the other thing you do is get into the farm markets. I'll tell you this about some of the local farm markets, because I investigated them in Jersey, and I investigated them in places in Tennessee where we want to go. You know what you're starting to see in a lot of local farm markets that's creeping in? Wokeness in the contract. Be careful. So all this kind of stuff is still conspiring on us in multiple fronts. It's not just the government and the various agencies. It's coming in from the public, too. And public is what we need to target. It's happening. It's happening slowly. But we need to get the resources to get the people to understand that not only is this a better way to live, it's better for you. Well, you know what? I and, no, I, no I, I agree. And I, uh, I think Brian, uh, Brian K. Uh, Brian K. and Dan Monday. Dan, you just heard uh, he is the farmer in the chat room. Uh, and in the directory. Again, I'm going to pop the link to the directory in the chat room at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. If you guys don't see the absolute now 
existential need for having our own business and trade directory that includes these meat processing, grain processing, um, uh, uh, seed companies, uh, local farmers markets, whatever. That directory needs to be bursting at the seams with a couple thousand listings, not a measly 118 where it sits now. Uh, I do all I can do, but I can't go in and fill the whole thing out. But Brian talked about this. It's a it's an education thing, Dan, like almost everything we talk about here on the Crusade Channel. This ultimately boils down to pathetic, piss-poor education. And people are not educated to know that a pig that is raised in the most awful, horrific and environments just simply mass produced for the for, for it, has, it has nothing to do with uh, with being part of a lar larger ecosystem. It is just being produced and grown, uh, bred and grown just to produce meat. Is ultimately that's all it's going to do, and it's going to produce a a a, a product that has less of the good stuff in it that uh, that you want and is not going to do anything. And it's, great, and it's actually going to create problems for the surrounding ecosystems, the least of which is the water supply, which is why you got to educate people that, look, growing regenerative hogs, growing regenerative cows, goats, and what have you, um, and learning why that's good, not only for your belly, your tummy, and your dinner table, it's also good for the land, and for the ecosystem, and yeah, it might cost a bit more than the mass-produced crap, but in the end, it is a better product. You're going to be healthier, and you're going to live longer, right, Mr. Brian K. That, that is correct, and even if you can't go fully regenerative, if you have to feed in a pen or something like that, especially with chickens, throw your food scraps in there, throw your weeds, throw your stuff. They're going to make compost for you. You can use that compost in your garden. You know, if you have to till up a little spot, and yes, I said till. If you have to do that and, you know, grow that, make sure you follow those other principles. I, you know, it, 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 you, you do what you need to do to survive. But if you do it on that small scale, that you're not going to see problems because you can buffer against runoff pollution. You can, you know, there's things you can protect against to, to protect that environment of that ecosystem. You know, you don't, I mean, you don't have to you know, be uh, 100%, you know, to, to the grind, you know, no-till and everything like that, you know, we have to understand we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good because the good is we're growing our food and we're, we're uh, divorcing from the system. The, the, the other parts will fall into place. If you're doing things right, you know, on, on all these other things, it's, it's going to take care of itself. I mean, uh, it, it just, we, we have to understand, though, yeah, we produce it locally, and, and uh, you know, following, you know, the, these principles of, of, you know, small scale and, and things like that, you're, you're going it, to, it, it, it's just, it's going to produce a healthier product. It, 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 you know, and so, yeah, it just, it, it, I don't know, I'm just so excited because finally, you know, people are getting, uh, starting to take note of it. And, you know, I have to tease some of these big commodity farmers. It's like, so uh, you're, since you're feeding the world, do you get your thank you note from your little African kid? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, they, get, they, they give us so much hell. Oh, that doesn't work. You're a hippie, this and that. It's like, oh, so you're getting your thank you. You know, you, you got you to gotta hit back. Now, I, I want to, so. uh, good stuff, Brian. Uh, I want to share one more story from, 
the rogue food movement is gaining ground by Jenny Garner. This is the story of a guy named John Moody. Listen to this, guys, and we'll close on this because uh, it's just a it, it it's a, it's what one guy did. Maybe somebody here in Louisiana uh, forms a Louisiana version of this. Maybe somewhere where you live, Chicken Lady in Michigan. Maybe Todd, uh, maybe Todd McClure or somebody forms a Michigan version or a New Hampshire version for uh, Brother Andre and the sisters. Listen to this. Many longtime sufferers from chronic illnesses are motivated to join the food health freedom movement. That is the, uh, and by the by, we should be very explicit about this. The freedom food, food movement is a Christian movement. It takes the the land and the animals as God blessed us with them. We have our free will and we have our intellect. That's true. And we can gain sensory knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with that. Technology, if you want to call it that. But we can and we can apply that. But this is, whether these people call it that or not, this is a return to that agrarian lifestyle that is natural. It doesn't mean everyone has to become a farmer or a homestead either. But it does mean that you need to know who is a farmer and a homestead so you can support them. And by supporting them, they help support your family in a far healthier and better way of living and eating. So listen to this. That is true of John Moody, who runs a family farm with his wife and three children in Kentucky and is founder and director of Stedder.com, an online platform for homesteaders and farmers. Moody started the Whole Food Buyers Club, WFBC, which works with local and regional farmers, artisans, and companies to source the best items working for a sustainable food and farming future. By the way, these artisans... Maybe they have blacksmith foundries or someone has a foundry. Maybe someone has a machine shop. So you don't have to go to China to get the ball bearings replaced or the axle when it breaks. A guy can mill you a new one because he's got a machine shop. That's a skill. That's a trade. That's a vocation. Um... The uh, WFBC, which works with local and regional farmers, artisans, and companies to source the best items working for a sustainable food and farming future. Rule number one, Brian and Dan and Crusade Channel family and audience, don't sell anything. People give us their money, and we get the food for them. Number two, farmers get 80% on the dollar. One reason why conservative libertarians lose is that while they are principled, they don't understand how to win. Meanwhile, the bad guys, the side they are fighting, are tactically brilliant. In 2011, the Kentucky County and State Health Departments served his club with a quarantine and cease and desist order. He got the Farm to Council Legal uh, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund on the line and an ally from the Kentucky Governor's Office of Agriculture Policy was on hand. <clears throat> what do you do when the ones charged with protecting your rights violate them, he said. He studied the Kentucky Constitution and learned his rights and that, and that of the WFBC members. 
His members broke the quarantine and got their products. He organized an email and call-in campaign into the health department who backed off claiming it was all a mistake. People are waiting to stand up, he said. They will fall in line behind you. So, uh, or Monday, are you finding people falling in line? Uh... Not in this area of the country. They're, they they talk a good game, but they're not fully into it. There, there's groups. There's big. There's large pockets, but not to the extent that you'd want to see. And it's and, 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 and that I would want to see. And it's not just what we're talking about trying to avoid the bigger box stores and trying to avoid the, the bigger producers that are causing a lot of this. You see it on the other end. One of those things that I get a lot of supplemental feed for the animals for is bread from one restaurant. I get a, I can get about a gaylord, you not know, a gaylord, like a pallet, four by four by four in bags. I can fill up every week yes. from an Italian restaurant. <clears throat> That's how much bread they throw away every week. You think about that. One nice sized restaurant is throwing that way that much bread bread a week that I'm able you, to give you know to the and to the chickens and and stuff and grind up for all the stuff. You know what Sister Philomena for her pigs is uh, working with a, lo- a guy that's brewing beer locally mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to throw his grain away? She has a a friend of the St. Benedict Center community, goes there with his pickup truck. They, when mm-hmm. they're on, on brewing days, they take the mash and they load his truck up with the mash and they bring it back to the St. Benedict Center farm and Sister feeds it to the, uh, to the pigs. And they love it. And there's a local cheese factory by me, too. Small operation. And I can go there every couple of weeks. Other people do, too. Go there in the truck with a couple of 55-gallon drums and get the whey. Uh, believe me, they, the pigs love whey. And it's good for them. So, you know, there's these opportunities for that stuff as well. But I'm trying to trying to go with go with that is they, that the consumer needs to look at this at both ends. You know, they talk about That's right. I, get, I agree. They, so, they, they, so, Dan, they, yeah. that comes down to education again. Yes, yes. And if you're going to be like the young gentleman we just got rid of here at our waste treatment plant that we tried to hire and train, and we were having some lively discussions with the older guys, me, about some history things and all, and he sat there and looked at us, he said, I never learned any of this. All I got taught was about slavery. So, <laughs> I'm not kidding. 19-year-old kid, I mean, unfortunately, we all the plant of other we got to get rid of him. But, but yeah, I mean, this, this is, you know, yeah, I... <laughs> it's hard to work. Miniature, I know you can appreciate. It. It's hard to work twenty hours a day and, and then go out and educate. That's nothing. So it's just a way of life. Hey, Brian, are you seeing people? Uh, do you believe what John uh, Moody said? Uh, uh, what? Uh, it's not John Moody. Yeah, John Moody says that people are waiting to stand up. He said they will fall in line behind you. Uh, in places where I'm at, right here, no. I mean, there's it's, there's too 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 many big operations. I, I, I will say that there are some uh, local um, cattle producers that are that are selling their local beef and they're they're being pretty successful. But um, you know, it's 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 hit and miss. You know, it, it depends on where you're at. If you're closer, if you're closer to a, a, a you know population center that that uh, you have more demand for the stuff. It, it's, it works better, but uh, there's still there's still a lot of people lagging behind because they're they're like, I don't know if they're afraid to make the jump or uh, or, or what it is, but I, I think I think it's probably the, similar to we what, need to, what Monday. Too. I hear you. Uh, 
we need to do a a, a show on or a couple of shows on how best to educate people. And I think one of the ways that we can do this together, all of us, wherever we live, uh, now it's going to take a little manpower and uh, some communication. But you know one thing that lazy, fat people like to do, Brian? What's that? Eat. <laughs> hey, I'm We need festivals. You need festivals that serve this stuff up and then have small, very small footprint, easy to understand, keep it simple, stupid, uh, yellow book, uh, regenerative farming for dummy style, that explains how it was grown, why it's better, and then maybe even put it side by side with the mass-produced crap and go like, okay, you pick, which one would you eat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know... Make it fun. Make it, make it fun. Make it relative. Make it, make it relatable. Guys, like I mentioned, like, the, like Gabe Brown, you know, people will ask if he's organic. He says, well, I'm not certified organic. I don't want to do all the paperwork. And they'll ask about animal welfare. And he says, look, my farm, these animals have one good life and one bad moment. So, and, and he said he never lost a sale to, you know, animal welfare and, and things like that because he was just straight up and honest but he had pictures of his operations. He ha has tours of his operations. So, yes, that's very good. Joel Salatin does the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of his big income is is, is the tours. And, uh, you know, he had the Rogue Food Conference at his at his, at his uh, farm down there in, uh, up there in Virginia. He's having another event with, uh, with the uh, Stockminger uh, Grass Farmer magazine because uh, he's the editor of that. And if, if you're interested in raising pastured meat, that's a good, I, I highly recommend that magazine. It's, it's, uh, I think it's like 65 bucks for a two year subscription, but there's so many good stuff and it, and it, uh, helps you. There's a, not only raising meat, but marketing and, and, you know, helping you go to that, that rogue food type, type system. There you go. So, what about, uh, uh, Plow Magazine? I, I'm not familiar with that. I have so, what was the one you so, mentioned? Because I want to make sure it's in the directory. Stockman Grass Farmer, and I can, I can, I can try to put it in too. But, okay, uh, why don't you do I it? SGF.com. If you want to look it up, but uh, I get it every month. Joel Salatin, like I said, he's the editor. He always has an awesome editorial every month, and I just uh, that's one of my favorite things to read. But there's so much other uh, just great information, and even if you're not raising stock. You know, it's it's. It, I I recommend it so you can kind of see what people out there are doing, and and, and, this and is, how they're doing it. Yeah, you know, these shows are so. Uh, they're. I think they're so productive for so many people. Uh, you know, we make them free. The podcasts are free. We don't. Uh, they're not part of your founders' pass. Uh, uh, <clears throat> everyone listening, if you were to take the time to have people that are interested, go like. Uh, and I think pretty sure we have a category. If not, I can make one and a separate page just for Free Farm Friday. Uh, I think that the education that we're all getting here in real time since we started this in February, I know I learn something new every week. Um, um, it's obviously, it's a professionally done. It's conversational. And uh, I think we, uh, to get to get this out and to have more people listening, I believe we'll bring more people in uh, to talk about it. Um, and they want to, they want to participate. But unfortunately... That is all the time that we have here for today. 
uh, a great show on rogue food, the movement, uh, and uh, what we can all do to, to practice at it and uh, to work at it and to look for people who are practicing it, which is, I think is important, and to make sure that we are doing all we can do to support them. All right, Brian Button, uh, uh, I guess the storm that's in the Gulf has the same chance of whacking you as it does me right now. I think I think you are a little more in the target. Stop it! I, I'm stop it! I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching it, and I'm I'm taking. You know, I'm 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 going to be. I'll be prepared. So. <laughs> you know, hey, we just got. I mean, it's it's this time of year. We got to we got to keep our eyes on the goal. Uh, and, I know, you know, dude. I mean, it just it's. But the thing it's it's the thing that tells us we should be prepared for anything. What? How? Twelve weeks was Southwest Louisiana out of commission last year. You know, because of because of the oh storm. god, I mean, places are still out of commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that, they'll never recover. They just they're just going to walk away and go build somewhere else. Yeah, and growing up here, we always learned to be prepared for something like that. All right, Brian, so, I got you're right. We're out of time. I got to go. Thank you. Yeah. God bless you and Suzanne and you and, and awesome babies. Uh, we'll stay in touch. We always do every weekend uh, and ride the storm out together. Thank you, bro. God bless you, Mike. And y'all watch the mail. I'll be sending y'all something. All right. Dan, uh, same to you, man. You ain't got to worry about... No, wait a minute. You did have a storm headed your way. Uh, Oh, we had one last week. Oh, you had one. You had one. Yeah, we we got that one that came up the coast from the Carolinas. Yeah, that that, that was supposed to hit Boston and dumped about eight inches of rain on me, but that's okay. We... All right. The animals wallow around the mud for a while. They look at you (laughs) and they go, yeah, and then they dry up and they just keep on going. All right, well, uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, brother. Uh, God bless you, and yep. we'll talk soon. God bless everyone. Thank you. You're very.